This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. It feels like we're all being told to go on this diet, take that supplement. Ozempic will give you depression, but you know what'll cure that? Weed. Or you could try to balance your hormones. At Science Versus, we're like... What the f*** is going on? Forget the crap online and listen to Science Versus. Just the facts. Oh, and a bunch of stupid jokes. What is a ghost's favorite fruit? Booberries. That's Science VS. New season out on Spotify soon. Due to the graphic nature of this secret society's rituals, listener discretion is advised. This episode contains descriptions of murder, abuse, racist ideology, and sexual acts that some people may find offensive. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. Something else to note. All of the groups covered on this show operate in secret. The details included in this episode are based on extensive research, but ultimately can never be 100% verified, except by society members themselves. In 2001, journalist Nick Lowles walked into a pub in Shropshire, England. He was there to meet David Myatt, one of the country's most notorious neo-Nazis. After looking around the pub, Lowell spotted Myatt in a corner booth. Myatt looked more like a college professor than an armed right-wing extremist. He had a thick auburn beard and wore John Lennon glasses beneath a tweed newsboy cap. Without hesitation, Lowell's walked to Myatt's booth and sat down across from him. He had only one thing on his agenda for the meeting, to get Myatt to admit that he was Anton Long, the mysterious leader of the Satanist group, the Order of Nine Angles. However, despite Lowell's best efforts, Myatt adamantly denied it, claiming he had no direct association with the Satanic group. Finally, the journalist gathered his things to leave. But just as he stood up, Myatt slid an envelope across the table. It had Lowell's name typed across the front. Curious, Lowell's sat back down and opened it. Inside was a sheet of cream-colored stationery bearing a neatly typed note. The letter accused Lowell's of spreading lies. And at the very end, Myatt challenged him to a duel. Lowell's looked up in shock to see that Myatt had opened his jacket. Inside was a silver dagger embossed with the insignia of the Nazi SS. Then, Myatt leaned in and said in a quiet voice, 
I've been involved in two previous duels and won them both. Hi, I'm Vanessa Richardson. I'm Greg Polson. And this is Secret Societies, a Spotify original from Parcast. Every Thursday, we examine history's most exclusive organizations from around the world and try to shine a light on these mysterious groups. From the Illuminati to the Order of Nine Angles, we'll explore how much impact each secret society actually had on the world around them. This is our first episode on the Order of Nine Angles, a prominent occult group based in the United Kingdom. Mixing traditional Satanism with neo-Nazism and witchcraft, the group is rumored to have outposts in Europe, North America, and other continents. This week, we'll look at the origins of the Order of Nine Angles and explore their bizarre beliefs and practices. We'll also investigate their leader, the mysterious Anton Long. Next week, we'll delve into the organization's legacy around the world. We'll discuss some of the group's members who have been accused of planning terrorist activities and committing murders. Finally, we'll look at how the group has reinvented itself in the age of social media. We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. The Order of Nine Angles, also called the ONA, was founded in the 1960s when three neo-pagan covens combined in England. Little is known about these groups, except that their members worshipped a malevolent goddess and answered to an enigmatic grand mistress. Then, at some point in the early 70s, this mysterious woman left the area and moved to Australia, paving the way for a new leader to emerge. However, many of the stories surrounding these early days of the ONA have the ring of mythology. In truth, it's possible, maybe even likely, that the Grand Mistress and her covens never existed, as many sources don't even mention her. Instead, researchers suggest that a man known as Anton Long may have actually started the Order of Nine Angles. Some sources state that Long fathered a child with the Grand Mistress of the Order before she decamped to Australia. Whether Long founded the ONA or was simply an early member, by the 1970s, he'd emerged as the group's leader. Unfortunately, that's where specific details about Long peter out. His exact identity remains unknown. Some people believe that Long was simply a pseudonym that was used by various ONA leaders over the years. Others assert that he was the alter ego of well-known British neo-Nazi and occultist David Myatt. Myatt has steadfastly denied being Anton Long, even to the point of threatening violence. But an analysis of his philosophy and an understanding of his history has led many academics to conclude that Long and Myatt are one and the same. For the purposes of this episode, we'll assume that they're right. David Myatt was born in 1950 and grew up in the modern-day African nation of Tanzania, where his father was a civil servant. Myatt also spent part of his childhood in Singapore. There, he studied mysticism and martial arts. In addition to these varied subjects, Myatt loved history, especially stories about ancient Sparta. He liked learning about the civilization's warriors and their regimented, disciplined lives. 
Coming of age during the early years of manned spaceflight, Maid also developed an interest in physics and astronomy. He came to believe that humanity's destiny lay in colonizing the stars. By his teenage years, Myatt had begun to mix all of his various interests together. If there was any hope for humanity to establish the galactic empire he dreamed of, he believed that people had to return to the noble, austere lifestyle of warriors, like the ancient Spartans he admired. In other words, Myatt thought that human beings needed to evolve beyond their present status as pampered weaklings. Myatt wasn't done adding to his diverse brew of influences either. In 1967, he traveled to England to finish his schooling. There, Myatt developed an interest in alchemy and the occult, finding them compatible with his ideas about strengthening human consciousness. In pursuit of this, Myatt joined several secret groups that practiced ritual magic, hoping this would teach him how to summon demons and other dark forces. It was during this time that Mayat discovered the writings of the 19th century German philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche. Nietzsche was well known for his theory of the Übermensch, a superhuman state that he believed all people should aspire to. Among other things, Nietzsche taught that an Übermensch would move beyond the need for religion by finding meaning in the everyday world. In the 1930s, his ideas were co-opted by the Nazi party in Germany as a model for the ideal Aryan. This racist interpretation of Nietzsche's Übermensch drew Myatt's interest the most. In 1969, he witnessed a street fight between skinheads and left-wing protesters. Watching the violence play out, Mayat immediately felt an affinity with the skinheads, viewing them as noble Nietzschean warriors fighting against powerful establishment enemies. Inspired, Mayat joined a neo-Nazi group called the British Movement. Of this club, he would later state, to me, Adolf Hitler and his movement seem to embody some of the ideals I believed magic should achieve. They seem to represent a satanic spirit, an urge to conquer. Perhaps in pursuit of this urge to conquer, Myatt became more politically involved. In the early 70s, he wrote treatises, attended protests, and gave political speeches on behalf of the British movement, and then for his own far-right hate group, the National Democratic Freedom Movement. In addition, he continued his exploration of magic and the occult. According to some scholars, this is how Myatt first stumbled across the Order of Nine Angles. According to its own legends, the ONA emerged in an area of Western England known as the Welsh Marches. In the prehistoric past, it was populated by native Britons, whose ancestors came to England during the Ice Age. In the intervening millennia, however, several tribes carved out their own territories and set up altars to worship their many disparate gods. One of these deities was a violent and sinister goddess. After Christianity began to replace the ancient pagan religions of the native Britons, ONA members believed that worship of this unnamed deity continued in secret, with devotees passing her rituals down through the generations. At some point in these years, the Order of Nine Angles allegedly sprang out of this tradition. In 1973, Myatt met the woman who was leading ONA and was initiated into the group. Soon after, Myatt was writing for the Order under the pseudonym Anton Long. 
He might have chosen this moniker because of its similarity to the name of the most infamous Satanist in the world, Anton LaVey. Anton LaVey was an American who headed the Church of Satan. His organization regarded the devil as a metaphor for anti-establishment behavior. As an atheist, he dismissed theism in all forms, as well as any sort of afterlife. Instead, LaVey promoted Satanism as a form of rational thought that focused on improving the self. However, LaVey's brand of Satanism would soon take on more sinister associations. In the wake of the 1969 Manson family murders, many associated the violence with the Church of Satan. Jay Sebring, who was killed alongside Sharon Tate, was said to have been a member of the group, and one of the Manson family killers, Susan Atkins, had participated in a theatrical ritual with LaVey. Though LaVey himself never claimed to be connected to the grisly murders, outsiders found it easy to believe that his black magic-infused religion inspired them. It's no surprise, then, that everyday people found LaVey distressing. Myatt, on the other hand, seemed to find him both mainstream and shallow. He didn't accept LaVey's metaphorical conception of Satanism, and he was dissatisfied with the other occult groups he had found. According to historian Nicholas Goodrick Clark, Myatt was looking for something more exciting, dangerous, and truly evil. Myatt also likely rejected LaVey's brand of Satanism because LaVey was ethnically Jewish. Since Myatt was a neo-Nazi, he would have naturally dismissed the group LaVey founded as a Jewish absurdity. Then, in his alter ego as Anton Long, Myatt set about creating an alternative. In his group, Satan wouldn't be some sort of metaphorical symbol. They would actually worship the Dark Lord as a deity. Myatt believed that this would allow them to tap into the evil forces that promoted individual growth and strength. As the leader of the Order of Nine Angles, Myatt also established a set of doctrines and training regimens for new recruits. He developed rituals and published numerous books and pamphlets to draw in converts. It's unclear if he had success expanding the group's membership. Some sources suggest that the order consisted mainly of Myatt and a few dedicated disciples until the 1990s, though the ONA's magazines in the 1980s and 90s had several hundred readers. Others argue that Myatt oversaw the establishment of several ONA temples throughout England during this period. What is certain, however, is that during these years, the ONA functioned as the esoteric wing of the broader neo-Nazi movement in England. Myatt knew that some people who were attracted to magic and the occult were also sympathetic to radical political philosophies, so he likely used the ONA to indoctrinate followers with his neo-Nazi worldview. To that end, much of the ONA's early literature and rituals centered around Nazism and the sanctification of Adolf Hitler. One satanic church service Myatt devised, called the Mass of Heresy, even included an altar that contained swastikas, a photograph of Hitler, and a copy of his book, Mein Kampf. During the ceremony, adherents chanted, We believe Adolf Hitler was sent by our gods to guide us to greatness. We believe in the inequality of the races and in the rights of the Aryans to live according to the laws of the folk. This was only the beginning. In combining neo-Nazi precepts with Satanism, 
Mayat created a religion of such evil that it went beyond the bizarre into the outright criminal. Coming up, we'll witness the ONA's terrifying ceremony of recalling. Listeners, I have a surprising new treat for you. You know how you can find love in a bar or on an app? Why not a podcast? In Blind Dating, the new Spotify original from Parcast, we're expanding the places you can meet your match with a twist you'll never see coming. Every Wednesday, YouTuber and host Tara Michelle introduces one hopeful single to two strangers in a voice-only call. Through a series of illuminating games and questions, the trio finds all the sweetness and awkwardness of a first date, minus the distraction of appearances. But once our hopeful single chooses their match, the cameras are turned on, and it's either butterflies or goodbye. Blind Dating airs weekly, with new episodes every Wednesday. You can find and follow Blind Dating free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Now, back to the story. In the late 1960s or early 1970s, neo-Nazi organizer David Myatt founded the Order of Nine Angles under the pseudonym Anton Long. Under Myatt's stewardship, the group combined Satanism with neo-Nazi ideologies, which Myatt called National Socialism. Then they published documents to attract more followers. These new members were taught the ONA's core ideology, that the world was divided between two distinct realms. The first was the causal realm, or the natural world we all inhabit, where the laws of physics prevailed and reality could be observed and tested. The second world that Myatt taught about was the acausal realm. As the name implied, it was the dark opposite of the real world, a supernatural place where the laws of science were meaningless and sinister, chaotic forces ruled. An ONA practitioner's goal was to become present in this acausal realm in order to harness its energy. According to Myatt, the acausal plane could then be used to affect change in the real world. This is where magic and sorcery came into play. ONA literature stated that there were three kinds of magic. The first, external magic, is what most people think of when they envision sorcery. It requires ceremonial rituals done by groups of magicians and includes spells for specific purposes. The second form of magic was an internal version of the first, which could be performed alone or with one other practitioner. As religious studies professor Connell Monet stated, this form focused on the transformation of the sorcerer from something human to something alien. In other words, it allowed the practitioner to attain the Nietzschean Ubermensch ideal of self-mastery and godlike wisdom, and to become possessed by non-human forces. 
The final form of ONA magic, called Ionic magic, attempted to use sorcery to create social change. This was a demonic version of societal disruption and transformation, much like what the Nazis attempted, but with the addition of magic rituals. Supposedly, only the highest-ranking members of the order were powerful enough to practice this. By combining magic with real-world actions such as terrorism, assault, and political provocation, the ONA sought to disrupt society from within. They believed that this guerrilla form of warfare would be much more difficult to stamp out. To that end, beginner adherents were encouraged to commit crimes and wreak havoc. As for ONA's advanced practitioners, they were busy trying to use dark magic to unleash the A-causal realm's sinister forces. It was this task that largely occupied David Myatt. He worked hard to develop a specific system to teach ONA adherents how to harness the A-causal realm's power to bring about change in the natural world. Myatt called this method the sevenfold sinister way. ONA members at the first level were called neophytes. This stage was mostly about reading group materials and learning about the basics of ONA beliefs and practice. The second ONA level was the stage of the initiate. In addition to studying magic, initiates were also required to complete a demanding physical task. One option involved walking 32 miles in hilly terrain in less than seven hours. Lastly, initiates were required to find a partner, introduce them to the dark arts, and then complete sexual rituals with them. According to ONA literature, the purpose of this stage was to awaken the darker, sinister aspects of the psyche, to increase a person's capacity for evil. The next level on the ONA hierarchy involved becoming an external adept. At this point, the practitioner had to create a local chapter, which the ONA called a Nexion, to recruit new members. In order to be considered legitimate, the external adept's new chapter had to remain active for at least six months. In this time, they were required to perform regular rituals, one of which was called the Ceremony of Recalling. Details about this specific gathering were written down in an ONA text known as the Grimoire of Baphomet. In the early 14th century, the Knights Templar were accused of worshipping Baphomet, a dark god who was frequently depicted as a goat-headed creature and thought to symbolize Satan. The ONA, however, taught that Baphomet was a goddess, both the mother and bride of Satan. They described her as a violent entity to whom human sacrifices should be made. However, in order to make a bloody offering to Baphomet, ONA members first needed to summon the goddess into the everyday causal realm. The best way they could do this was by performing the ceremony of the recalling. If you were an ONA practitioner attending this ritual, it would be an experience you would never forget. You're standing in a small group of your brothers and sisters in a large wooded area. There are torches all around, their light making up for the fading day. Up ahead, you can see a series of carefully placed stones. Before you can wonder at the significance of their strategic placement, you see people walking through the woods towards you and your brethren. 
you know immediately that the first person is the guardian. He wears the characteristic black robe of the role, with a white mask covering his face. In his ceremonial white robe, the priest follows obediently behind him. The priestess rounds out the procession. She has on a red robe with a white sash across the middle. Suddenly, she speeds up, and you notice that she has a blindfold in her hand. As you watch, the priestess carefully place it around the priest's eyes. With his vision restricted, the priestess leads him to each congregation member for the ceremonial kiss. When it's your turn, you lean forward and peck the priest on each cheek, noting how cold his skin is, despite the warm evening air. Then you watch as the priestess leads the priest into the circle of stones, where the master and mistress of the temple are waiting. On being beckoned, you and the rest of the satanic congregation follow. You all slow down at the sight of a large wooden altar. It sits at the head of the circle, lined by rows of red candles. You watch as the black-robed master moves to stand in front of the priest. You're moved as you listen to him chant several magical words, repeating each invocation three times. At the conclusion of these incantations, you and the congregation step forward to surround the blindfolded priest. Then you all walk slowly counterclockwise, intoning the Latin words of the Diabolus, a black mass ritual chant. As your chanting escalates in volume, the guardian lays the priest on the altar between the flickering red candles. You watch as the mistress carefully removes the priest's garment. Then, taking a flask filled with oil, she pours it over his naked body, anointing him. When she's finished, she removes his blindfold. Now you and your fellow initiates step forward and chant the Diabolus again, moving counterclockwise around the circle of stones. You watch as the priest's eyes shut and his breaths become slow and deep. As you continue walking around the circle, the mistress and the priestess each remove their robes. Then the priestess begins performing oral sex on the priest. When she finishes, the guardian lifts the priest and places him on his knees in front of the priestess. At the same time, the master kneels before the mistress. Then the master and priest speak in tandem, saying, I put my kisses at your feet and kneel before you who crushes your enemies. The mistress and the priestess respond, Kiss me and I shall make you as an eagle to its prey. Touch me, and I shall make you as a strong sword that severs and stains my earth with blood. Moved by the power of the moment, you and the rest of the congregation continue to circulate and chant. All the while, you watch as the priest, the priestess, the master, and the mistress begin having sex in front of the altar. When the ritual act is over, the guardian approaches the priest and carefully places a hood over his head. Then he binds the priest's ankles and wrists and lays him on the altar once again. Though you're chanting and walking, caught up in the moment, you watch as the master takes the sacred knife. Then he waits for a signal from the mistress. When she gives it, you stare unflinching as the master presses the blade into the priest's neck and slices it open with a swift, practiced movement, killing him. 
As the blood runs over the altar, the master catches some of it in the empty chalice. You know that he will save the priest's blood for use in the sacred wheat cakes that the congregation will eat at the next new moon. For now, you and the rest of the members gather in front of the altar, watching as the guardian drags the priest's body away. In his absence, the mistress picks up the sacred knife and points it at the master, saying, So you have sown, and from your seeding, gifts may come if you obediently heed the words I speak. Then she dips the end of the knife in the chalice and taps it against each congregant's forehead. When the blade touches your head, you feel the smear of the priest's warm blood against your skin. After the anointing, the mistress speaks again. I know you and all the thoughts within your hearts, yet not one of you is as hateful or as loving as I. With a glance, I can strike you dead. Then again, she goes to each member of the congregation and kisses them on the lips. But this time, she also removes their robes, stripping them naked. After she takes off your clothes, she offers you the second chalice full of red wine. You feel a surge go through your body. During the ritual slaying, she channeled her deeply honed skill of sinister empathy. This allowed her to summon the dark goddess. And now, by giving you the wine, she is signifying that she has chosen you to be the vessel that will carry Baphomet's spirit. You are honored to be the chosen one. You take a sip of the wine and then hand it back to the mistress. She passes it around to each of the other members. After one final invocation, you and the mistress consummate the ceremony by having sex. When you finish, the guardian passes more wine around. And then, finally, the ceremony ends with an alcohol and marijuana-fueled ritual orgy. Smaller chapters of the Order of Nine Angles are said to have performed a truncated version of this ceremony. Those abridged rituals didn't include a human sacrifice. However, according to ONA documents, the larger chapters did ritualistically kill one of their willing members. Fortunately, this gruesome ceremony was only performed once every 17 years. Its purpose was to summon the power of Baphomet. With her might, the ONA believed they could create chaos in the real world and even spark wars. The ceremony of recalling had one more disturbing feature. If ever an ONA chapter failed to find a member who was willing to be ritualistically sacrificed, they were encouraged to find an unwilling person from the general public to kill. This sinister practice was called culling. Coming up, we'll explore this dark and disturbing tradition. Now back to the story. The Order of Nine Angles followed a theology that broke the world into two distinct planes, the causal realm of ordinary experience and the a-causal realm of dark supernatural forces. The goal of the ONA was to harness the power of the a-causal realm so that they could affect change in the real world. The way to achieve that objective was to follow the sevenfold sinister way which included practicing acts of violence, endurance, and ritual sacrifice. 
Beginning at the stage of external adept, practitioners of ONA had to learn the art of sacrificial murder. To that end, they were tasked with choosing victims called opfers from among the general population. In a treatise titled Concerning Calling as an Art, David Myatt, in his guise as Anton Long, wrote, Some humans by nature, by character, are rotten, worthless. And when this rotten character is revealed by their deeds, it is beneficial to remove them, to cull them. For Myatt, a rotten person was a weakling who lacked honor. This was an overly broad definition, meaning that journalists, politicians, or even a member of another Satanist organization could qualify as targets. However, ONA practitioners didn't call people at random. Instead, the group's literature dictated two ways to choose a victim. The first way involved masters and mistresses designating entire groups of people as being acceptable for culling. Their choice was usually discriminatory based on ethnic, cultural, racial, or religious grounds. Once a group was given opfer status, any member of it could be murdered without further question. Of this, Myatt wrote, It is legitimate, and indeed a satanic duty, to cull an individual or many individuals from such a group. In the case of choosing individual opfers who weren't part of a condemned group, ONA members had to develop tests to determine if a target was sufficiently rotten. One such trial involved sending a female member to flirt with a male target. If he succumbed to her advances and asked for a date, then she would suggest a time and place to meet, preferably in a relatively deserted area. At the appointed time, she would approach the man, ensuring that he saw her coming. Then, right before she got to him, two male ONA members would jump out of a car and attack her, pretending to be muggers or rapists. The target's reaction would determine whether or not he passed the test. If he ran to her rescue, physically intervening and showing his bravery, then he was safe. However, if he fled or didn't help her, he proved himself a coward. However, the ONA often gave the potential opfer a second test to verify if his weakness warranted culling. It was only if he failed the second trial that he was deemed suitable for human sacrifice. At that point, ONA members could make one of three choices. They could simply kill the opfer, disguising his death as a run-of-the-mill accident, or they could perform a ceremony called the death ritual. In this rite, ONA members use magic to place a fatal curse on the opfer, thus eventually ending his life. Despite the unlikeliness of this scenario, ONA writings claimed that a journalist who was cursed in the 1970s developed a terminal illness and died. The last way opfers were called, based on what we can assume from ONA documents, was by forcing them to participate in the ceremony of recalling. In these situations, the chosen victim would be kidnapped, made to stand in for the priest, and then be ritualistically sacrificed. Culling served at least two main purposes for the ONA. First, it was a vital part of the sevenfold sinister way, helping members connect with and learn to harness the a-causal realm's evil energy. Second, it served as an essential function in the real world by eliminating weaklings. 
The ultimate question, though, is whether the ONA actually followed through with any of these teachings. Despite the group's many writings, if the ceremony of recalling took place, there's no evidence that any real sacrifice ever occurred. Of course, that didn't mean it didn't happen. People disappear all the time. It's entirely possible that a long-forgotten missing person case could be explained by an ONA culling. Still, when scholar Connell Monet interviewed several ONA members for his book, Mysticism in the 21st Century, all of them insisted that they never carried out a human sacrifice ritual. However, in personal correspondence with Monet, Mayat, writing as Anton Long, contradicted that, stating, Some traditional Nexions known to me do practice ritualized culling some only every 17 years or so, and others called victims in their own individual, non-ritualized manner. What Myatt called a non-ritualized manner might have been a different and more terrifying form of sacrifice. According to Manette, some ONA members joined the police or the military to carry out legalized killings as a form of calling the unworthy. Whatever the real truth is, mastering the art of culling was a requirement for the third stage of the sevenfold sinister way. Once that was achieved, the external adept was ready to graduate to the next stage and become an internal adept. This fourth level typically lasted anywhere from 5 to 11 years. It involved more intensive study into sorcery and self-mastery. In addition, at this stage, more extreme physical demands were required, pushing the ONA practitioner towards maximum levels of fitness. The internal adept was also required to spend at least one season in total isolation, honing their connection to the interior world and showing their independence from society. After completing all the tasks of the fourth stage, the internal adept became a master or mistress, moving on to the fifth stage. At this level, the master or mistress had to lead a chapter of the ONA, guiding members along the sevenfold way. They also allegedly used sorcery, especially eonic magic, to summon dark forces from the acausal realm to bring about societal change. Few people ever reached the fifth stage, and even fewer moved beyond it. For that reason, ONA literature claimed that only one or two people per century reached the sixth stage, that of the Grand Master or Grand Mistress. ONA publications don't give information about expectations at this level. However, from what we understand about the group, we can surmise that Grand Masters or Mistresses were likely in charge of the entire organization. David Myatt, in his guise as Anton Long, was probably considered a Grand Master. However, not even he reached the final level of the Sevenfold Way. The last stage was called the Path of the Immortal. Since it's unlikely anyone ever reached it, information about this level is scarce. However, the name seems to suggest that ONA practitioners who achieved this stage would become gods. This was the end game, the longed-for motive behind all of the ONA's mystical feats. Practitioners hoped that their rituals, ceremonies, and adherence to the Sevenfold Way would help them pursue their goal of Aryan supremacy. According to David Myatt, 
every human age had a destiny driven by a unique kind of a-causal energy. He believed a Nazi-inspired Aryan society was the future of Western civilization. However, Mayat taught that forces, which he called Nazarene or Magian energies, sought to halt the rise of this satanic reign. In short, Mayat preached that Judeo-Christian beliefs, democracy, humanism, and capitalism threatened the ultimate satanic destiny of Western civilization. For that reason, he argued that the rise of fascism in the 1930s was a good thing, stating, Nazi Germany was an expression of satanic spirit. It was a burst of Luciferian light, of zest and power. Though fascism was ultimately defeated, Mayat believed it opened a gateway to the a-causal world, allowing for the emergence of satanic power. He taught his followers that practitioners of the sevenfold sinister way could harness that power, and by performing their rituals and sorcery, Mayat preached that ONA members could magically usher in a new version of Hitler's Third Reich. According to ONA literature, it was at this point that a messiah-like figure called Vindex would appear on Earth. After his arrival, Vindex would usher in a series-long period of Aryan rule, power, and prestige that he called the Imperium. At the end of this era of prosperity and progress, he would lead humanity out of planet Earth and help them to colonize the solar system. For the members of the Order of Nine Angles, intergalactic domination represented the final and dramatic triumph of evil satanic virtue. However, as they waited for Vindex's arrival, Mayat encouraged ONA initiates to prepare for this final era by committing grievous crimes. Judging by the violence instigated by ONA extremists over the last decade, members are taking Mayat's suggestion very seriously indeed. Thanks again for tuning into Secret Societies. We'll be back on Thursday with part two, where we'll continue our investigation of the Order of Nine Angles. We'll examine the way some of the group's members have attempted to put their violent philosophy into practice. You can find all episodes of Secret Societies and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite podcast originals like Secret Societies for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Secret Societies on Spotify, just open the app and type Secret Societies in the search bar. We'll see you next time. Hey listeners, don't forget to follow Blind Dating for a fun twist on a classic setup. YouTuber and host Tara Michelle can't wait to help hopeful singles meet their match. Search Blind Dating and follow free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs>